0: Hey everybody, Uh, welcome to the first uh, Cap City Outfitters podcast. Uh, We thought we'd give this a shot and be able to communicate to you guys a little bit more about what we're thinking about and some of the training experiences that we've done. Uh, We're just going to get right into it. Uh, you got Brian and Chris. We've got some coffee and a donut because it's Saturday morning and we're just going to get to it. Good
1: morning, everyone.
0: Uh, Recently... Chris and I had an opportunity to do some injured shooter training um, that one of our tribe members kind of brought back from a Chase Jenkins talent defense class. And we thought we would share some of our experiences with gear that enabled us to stay in the fight when we were down to one hand or one hand plus, you know, maybe not all of the fingers on the other hand. Uh, part of that training was carrying around a tennis ball that eventually got duct taped to a hand um, and then having maybe like a pinky finger exposed or a thumb but not the rest of the fingers, Um, having arms kind of taped to where it is sort of like a weird chicken wing type thing Um, but in any event it made traditionally running the gun a little bit more difficult than you would expect and at the same time the cadre were creating malfunctions in our firearms. So we had additional problems to solve. Um, yeah, turn it over to Chris.
1: Yeah, good, clean fun. Um, want to say thanks to Brian for presenting that information. Um, also want to say, uh, Brian, our cadre, not Brian with me today, different Brian. Uh, also want to say thanks to the guys that showed up to do that training. Um, the guys that were there, the level of intensity was where it needed to be for everyone to get what they needed to get out of it. Uh, really, really good day of work. A uh, little chilly, little interesting as well to add along with that. Um, the, starting off the evolutions that we ran through, we basically went through one-handed draw stroke and engaging targets with multiple rounds or single rounds, whatever the case may be, um, and learning how to do some of those things with your strong hand or your other strong hand or your weak hand, whatever you prefer to call it. Uh, learning the techniques around just simply driving the gun in the right direction in the most efficient way possible. Um, Learn some things about holster position. Um, if you carry the gun strong side, and maybe you need to eat more salad, um, some guys definitely were challenged a little bit there trying to get to a strong side holstered gun with their weak hand. Uh, some of the guys run an appendix, kind of figured, you know, already knew that advantage, but, you know, kind of got an opportunity to rep in on that and say, hey, I really love this for a reason. Uh, Same thing goes for mag pouches. If your mag pouches are offside, then you're doing strong hand only, and you're trying to get to a mag pouch. That was an interesting challenge as well. So, you know, sometimes I think it, you know, geography of gear. Where's the gear at on your person? Um, You know, and I think some guys learn some things about maybe some physical limitations or some changes that need to be made. And the reality check is just because everybody does something one way or another doesn't mean it's the right way for you based on, you know, body type, physicality, flexibility previous injuries, etc., things of that nature. So I think we saw a little bit of that. Um, the one-handed draw stroke stuff is pretty straightforward with the exception of you really got to work hard to clear your garment and get stuff out of the way. The off-handed draw stroke, um, same conversation. You really got to work hard to clear that garment, get that gun up where you can actually work with it, and then roll it over in whatever fashion and get it pointed downrange. Um, appendix definitely shines when you start going to weak side for sure especially for guys like me that have some mobility issues with shoulders and have girthiness in the way Um, this is I guess the politest way I can throw that out there so um, Brian what did you drag out of that draw strokes stuff
0: Uh, I would say some of our some of our fellow students in this class were law enforcement and you know when they started putting on plate carriers or soft armor vests, the one-handed draw um, from the strong side with their offhand became significantly more challenging. Um, added in, you know, if you have a retention holster now, you need to defeat that retention yeah. um, with, with your offhand that is trying to reach across your body. So just something to be thinking about, something to practice and to figure out, you know, at home, Uh, when no one is shooting at you.
1: Yeah, that was one of the things the LT pointed out. He stated something that he had learned um, in the process of just learning about armor and getting officers under his command in armor was that you could lose, you know, up to 50% of your mobility by having certain types of armor, how you wear them, your body type and fitment and stuff like that. So if you're law enforcement, you know, this is where getting reps in, even if they're slow reps, um, you know, in our newsletter, Brian made the comment that the— the You're not going to go where you've not been, especially at least if your mind's not gone there. Wargaming it's great, but getting out and doing it, if you haven't done it once or twice, you're going to have a heck of a time figuring these things out on a bad day. So, definitely. Um, so, going the one hand uh, draw stroke strong hand, one hand draw stroke weak hand. Um, you know, pretty simple stuff, uh, but stuff you definitely should be doing. Um, we progressed from strong hand, weak hand, draw stroke and firing to strong hand, weak hand, drawing, firing to empty and then doing an emergency reload with an empty gun while down to one hand or the other. Uh, so that, that was an interesting progression um, going, you know, basically just crawl, walk, run. Well, this was getting a little bit little bit more complicated. Uh, one of the things that was recommended by the instructor, by the guy running the show that day. Um, you know, law enforcement, all these guys are taught go right back into your holster if you're strong hand, just dump it and go right back into it, understanding that you still may have to defeat a retention device like Brian talked about. And if you're injured, you know you may have bilateral injuries. You may not just have an injury to your weak hand or to your strong hand. They may be everywhere. And understanding that if you go back to your holster for that reload, um, make sure you can get it back out. Um, also, learn that if you're a conceal carrier and you're carrying your gun you know your your concealment garment is likely going to come back down over your holster so if you're going to your holster to reload you still need to get stuff out of the way not jam your shirt in your holster uh, with the gun and things of that nature because that can definitely impede getting those items back out in a functional fashion and it could create safety issues so you know that that was a learning thing um, also figured out that if you're going to weak hand and you're trying to get back over to a strong hand holster Uh, assuming you're carrying strong side um, issues there with getting a gun back in the holster especially a gun with a light on it going back into a holster uh, a rigid holster or especially a retention holster strong side it may not fit in backward so that created some issues for those guys that they had to overcome Um, us as concealed carry holders trying to go back into a light bearing holster is the exact same conversation trying to get the gun in backwards so you could get to your mag and get it in the gun Uh, was something that i struggled with and you end up going to alternate options like um you know throwing the gun underneath your arm uh watch where you're pointing it because you're about to shove a mag in it and recharge the gun uh or putting a gun between your legs or or taking a knee and getting that gun behind uh the knee that's not down on the ground and getting it pinned in there to get the mag in it Uh, and you know and, and again we're getting into some different options about how you do these things you know different ways that if you haven't tried to do them you know or someone hasn't shown them to you it's probably not real likely you'll figure them out when you need to. So we got good reps going different directions with a lot of different ways of doing this stuff. Um, but again, back to you know safety really really matters because you're going to start pointing the gun in directions that you don't want to if you're not careful. If that means moving your body on a square range environment to train with, it means moving your body and getting the gun pointed where it needs to be safely. Um, you know, you charge the gun even if you don't necessarily rack the slide and get around in the chamber, you just put a mag in the gun, so therefore it is loaded, where is it pointed. So be careful with some of that stuff as you're you know, chasing some of this stuff down.
0: And the, the other part, you know, with getting the gun back in the fight after reload, is getting that round from the magazine into the chamber. Um, you know, a lot of us have been taught, with various classes and instructors, to power stroke the gun with the rack the slide. Uh, when you've got one hand, that isn't necessarily the easiest thing to do. Um, strong side hand, the easiest thing to do is going to be to hit that slide release with your thumb, if you can get to it. Yeah, It's sure. going to drop the slide, put it put around in the chamber. Uh, with the weak hand, uh, now we've got to rack the slide uh, off of, we got to do something to rack the slide. So using the sights on the belt, on the holster, um, this is where having a good belt that's stiff uh, makes a big difference. Or having a Kydex holster that gives enough rigidity to give the sight something to grab onto. Uh, in with the sights, you know, we saw guys that had kind of melted target profile sights have a lot of trouble because they didn't have anything to be able to get those sights to grab onto. Um, you know, we found the folks with the Trigicon HDS; those actually have a little bit of a curvature to them that kind of creates a claw and that worked really, really well for allowing you know, these sites to, to dig into something and to be able to rack the slide. Um, Chris and I were actually running Glock 19s with RMRs on them and the RMR kind of made it like cheating when it came time to rack the slide no, with one it hand. It was flat
1: out like cheating. It was awesome. It was awesome. You didn't have to with the RMR. You don't have to catch anything rigid. You can literally run it off your arm. You can run it off your clothing. You don't you don't need anything rigid to catch the RMR on. Um, it's not like cheating. It is freaking cheating, and it's awesome. I'm going to do it every time. But, yeah. yeah. Sorry. So
0: <laughs> Like I said, that gets back to you know if you're if you're not if you're not cheating, you're not trying hard enough. Um, the RMR definitely you know makes that easier. Uh, also made it you know easier. We had a, a couple times we had tape over our eyes and being able to to be like oh there's the dot put the dot where you want the bullets to go pull the trigger repeat as necessary.
1: Yeah the uh, the sights guys I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and just revisit that I, I, I can't stress that enough um, as somebody who's owned different sights uh, I, I I run Glocks I'm an unashamed Glock guy have been for a long time. Um, I've, I've run sites that are the so-called like Novak, uh, no snag, low profile kind of sites and stuff like that, and I got introduced to um, you know big blocky sites that are metal that catch on things. Back in the day with like the X, XS big dot site system sites, and now with the newer I, I think better option being you know some of the Trigicon HDS and HDS XRs with the big orange dot. You know we call it the the, the dot of death or the donut of death out front. Um, those sights, like Brian said, with that big lip and a big chunky metal thing to catch on stuff are, are night and day. If you're if you're driving a Smith, uh, you know, an M&P that's got, you know, that Novak-style wedge sight on it, get, get rid of them. Please, 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 please get something on the gun that's got that ledge. Um, if you're running a Glock with plastic Glock sights on it um, and you train very much at all, you won't be. You'll have a gun without sights because they'll come off. So again, same conversation, get those wedge style sights off the gun, get the crappy Glock plastic sights off the gun and get something that you can catch on stuff on there. Um, You know, if you're hitting that age where your eyes are getting a little bit weird and the RMR is going to help you out, it it makes for a great tool to put on the gun for other reasons as well. Um, Understand that I don't think a lot of optics will hold up to that kind of treatment, but the RMR does it and does it in spades. So definitely... um, definitely some good things there as well so
0: yeah so at the the training uh, after we got done with pistols and working through malfunctions and kind of how to keep the pistol in the fight you know then we progressed to running the AR-15 carbine um, two hands one handed strong hand uh, one handed weak hand and dealt with some malfunctions on that too Uh, I can say that you know Dealing with a bolt override um, with one hand is not fun, mm-hmm. Ugly. but it is overcomable. Uh, and some of the, I guess we'll talk about now, some of the things we found that helped us work the AR uh, with one hand.
1: Um, going, you know, if you don't have your, your manual of arms down for immediate action versus remedial action, um, with the handgun or with a rifle for that matter. Um, you know, those are things you want to go back and train through. I, I, you know, it's something that I don't think you need to spend all the time in the world on, but it should be a component of your training. That that if if you've got the primary things like drawing the gun, shooting the gun, reloading the gun down to a conscious or unconscious competence level, you probably need to start chasing down dealing with malfunctions and stuff like that. They're auto pistols. They're made by man. They're semi auto semi-auto rifles. They're made by man. You're going to have issues, especially when you start working in environments that are tight or from positions that suck, um, you're going to see things go sideways. Uh, like Brian said, the challenges, um, I will say that some of the technique that we pushed into running the tennis ball in one hand and being able to use a finger or a nub to do things like push the bolt release um, or, or you know, to, to, to run the gun, there are definitely some advantages to the reality check of just because you're shot in your weak hand or your strong hand doesn't mean it's completely out of the game. You may be able to use it to support the gun, and that was probably a big takeaway for me, all the one-handed rifle manipulation I'd ever done was, you, whichever hand's injured is completely out of the fight. It's hanging at, the, at your side or it's behind you. Um, and that's not always the case. And we see that now from dash cam videos with law enforcement. We see it from you know security videos and different things of that nature too. Um, if you can utilize that, that injured limb in some fashion, whether it's to support the gun, whether it's to push a button, um, getting a mag out of the gun, getting a bolt lock back, whatever. Um, you know, utilize it to the best extent you can, because you should be, and i i 'd almost kind of wonder if there aren 't some training scars out there from everybody saying, "Hey, this hand 's out of the fight versus "Hey, this hand's at least partially capable let 's use everything we have available to us, and I wonder if the lizard brain will overcome that in the real world or not, depending on how much you 've been forced down that road so it was nice to do it a different way this time, especially absolutely so um Looking at running the rifle, um, we 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 just you know we're taught and discovered a few different things. We we spent some time working around the exterior of a vehicle, and uh, and you know you learn a little bit about how do you get the gun stabilized, and a lot of that stabilization you know when you're doing things like clearing a malfunction, you want to you know you want to lock the bolt back, get the mag out of the gun. Um, there are some great tools we figured out on the gun that we have additions to the gun that made life a little bit easier. Um, but but one of the things that really stuck out in my mind was was your environment is going to do a lot more for you than necessarily how you have your gun set up. So I'm I'm going to save the gun setup for then let Brian talk about that here in a minute. But using the gun in that environment and the kind of things you can pin the gun against to stabilize it to to clear malfunctions, load the gun, get it charged, and get it back in the game. Uh, we had one of the guys training with us who pointed out you know, gosh, it's nice to stick the muzzle of your gun up against this tire and be able to lean into it because the tire's not slippery, but it happened to be an older SUV with mag wheels, and gosh, you could jam the muzzle of your gun straight in between the mag wheel openings into the brake rotor and brake caliber and just absolutely pin it so it couldn't move and couldn't slip, and the observations like that were, hey, find a crease in the vehicle that's metal that, that lets you really lock it in. Um, putting the gun on the tire was great, but if you let up your body weight a little bit, it might slip. Where we were at was wet. Uh, it was a dynamic situation. You're moving around and, and trying to make things happen. And watched a few people, you know, almost bonk their heads off the side of a non-moving vehicle, which, while good for entertainment, is probably not the most efficient way to get the gun back in the fight. Um, so, like I said, one of the guys, Walt, pointed out, you know, hey, gosh, there's this great big metal hole here with a great big metal bottom and a great big metal corner to jam this in. Um, also understand that as you're doing some of that kind of stuff if you feel like your equipment is in danger as you're jamming it into a brake rotor brake caliber junction to stabilize the weapon to clear it if you're worried about doing damage to your gun maybe that's not the right tool um i had a couple people kind of cringe because i'm running a suppressor on the gun and i don't really worry about that kind of stuff then yeah it gets scratched up if you're running good gear um, that, that thought should not really be part of the conversation when you're trying to stay alive. So um, I'll, I'll pass over to Brian some of the things we learned about gear on the guns, adjuncts to the guns, and let him talk about that. So,
0: Yeah, I just kind of reiterate the, you know, if you're, if you're running a gun you're going to stake your life on it and it doesn't have scratches on it yet, either take a hammer, take a screwdriver, go out to your driveway and drag it across the concrete. And put some scratches on it. <laughs> And just get over the fact that it, this gun is a tool, you know, it's not a safe queen. Uh, it's not some some shiny piece of bling, you know, to show off at a barbecue.
1: And it's okay to have a safe queen, just not the gun to stake your life on.
0: Uh, yeah, so uh, on the AR, you know, one of the, the critical components to be able to, to run the gun effectively with one hand is a quality charging handle. Um, yes. Chris and I are both really big fans of the Bravo company, the Mod 4. Uh, we run just a, the single sided ones. Um, the Ambies work pretty well too. Um, some of the guys that had the mill, just your standard mill spec charging handle, uh, when they needed to get on that charging handle with one hand, all they did was slip off of it. Yeah. Or they couldn't get to it. Yeah. Uh, having that medium sized latch on the Bravo Mod 4. Really makes a difference. Um, the fact that the Bravo Mod Four is made on a seventy seventy-five uh-huh. T six means you are not going to break it. Um, you can, you know, you can really, you know, if you got to use your foot and just monkey stop that thing, yeah, it's going to hold up to that kind of abuse. Uh, the other, you know, thing we found when we had to put the gun on the ground, just lay it on its side and use our foot on the bolt release. Um, having either a bad lever for Magpul or the Geisley, the Maritime Bolt Catch, um, made a really big difference in giving us a big target to use with our boot. Um, some of the guys, you know, with just a standard bolt release, and if they had any kind of recess in their boot lugs, um, they weren't being able to lock that bolt to the rear. Yeah, and the struggle. Being able to lock the bolt to the rear, you know, is pretty important, especially clearing something like a double feed. Uh, which you start getting guns, dirty, mags, dirty, mud, sand inside of magazines. Um, double feeds are a reality of the AR-15 system. They're going to happen, so being able to fix those uh, becomes really important, uh, especially when you're, you're crawling around um, in the dirt, in the mud, and if you're injured, um, there's a good chance you've probably fallen over um, into, you know, whatever's on the ground. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that's just one of the, the realities of the real world that we don't necessarily think about in training on the square range.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and to reiterate too, you know, we see a lot of these, you know, a lot of some of these adjuncts and and accessories that are put on rifles that, you know, maybe people tend to kind of poo poo because it's like, Oh, well that's for range Queens or for that's for speed reloads or that's for this, or that's for competition. Um, You know, there are pieces of equipment out there that I think maybe had that original design impetus, but we found out, you know, through the evolution of training and using our guns, hey, this does something else really important really well. So, you know, I I run a bad lever on almost all of my rifles. Um, I don't run it for that super fast reload. You know, once that mag hits home, I hit the bad lever. I I generally don't use it for that. It gives me a bigger ping pong paddle to catch on that same reload. Uh, but what I do run it for is exactly what Brian's talking about. You're dumping that gun on the ground. You've got to get a toe on the bolt, uh, on the bolt catch uh, or, or a knee or whatever you have available and, and get that charging handle pulled back. That's an attention getter. Um, you know, so I, I haven't run the Geisley Maritime, but I get a lot of really good feedback on it. Um, obviously, we're fans of the bad lever. Uh, there's also, uh, I think, Phase 5 does a device like that as well that's, that has a really good reputation. I, I don't have any personal experience with it. Um, you know, but those are really good adjuncts. Um, to go a little further with the charging handle thing, too, uh, maybe more as a cautionary note, um, the, the, the threes from Bravo Company and some of the obscenely large char- charging handles, um, like Badger Big Latches and stuff like that, um, they can get caught on things and you can find your bolt out of battery. Um, for a civilian who's running slick, probably not a big deal for a tactical law enforcement officer or somebody who's really kitted up. Uh, you got a lot of molly, a lot of ledges, a lot of mags and things for that charging handle to catch on. Then um, I, I personally experienced this with a, with a 3 um, on the Bravo company that, you know, the bolt was out of battery a couple times, went to the 4, have not had that problem you know, in nearly a decade. Um, the size 5, the smaller size, is still very, very functional. So if you need something a little slicker, whatever, that's fine too. But having a little bit of extra handle really seemed to make a difference for a lot of folks. The other thing we ran into guys with big um, charging handles um, one of the things that we experienced and this is this is obviously extremely situational uh, gentleman has his boot on the side of the receiver, trying to catch the bolt catch and run the charging handle to the rear at the same time was running a large ambi. We had put down a piece of cardboard because apparently somebody felt like they needed to keep their gun clean. Whatever, thanks Brian. Um, Anyway, the charging handle went through the piece of cardboard so on the blind side of the gun that you couldn't see and so it didn't want to move because you have all that pressure on the cardboard holding it in place. Um, I think we're all the general consensus that if you're on gravel or if you're on blacktop, something like that, it's gonna slide. Um, you might find an environment where that large charging handle impedes movement as you're trying to apply pressure to the side of the gun to get the bolt locked open so that'd be something to be cautious of train around see how it works for you in different environments um but yeah e- equipment on you know on the rifle there's a few little things you can do that make a, a pretty big difference um, i will throw in and a nod to ambi safeties i understand you know that not every gun i'm going to pick up is going to have an ambi safety on it I don't really buy into the whole battlefield pickup mentality. I know it's a possibility, um, but the reality is if I can switch from an AR to a Remington 870 to a Glock to whatever and make them all work, I'll probably be able to figure out there's not an AMB safety on the gun if I have to do the battlefield pickup. Um, But I would like to train and optimize my guns for me in the environment that I live in and and for the risks that I perceive. And I know that having an AMB safety just made things a little bit easier for me. So, um...
0: yeah, talk to you uh, about optics yes. and sights on ARs. Yes, uh, Chris is running a Trijicon MRO. I'm running a Trigicon uh, Power one to eight on my AR15 uh, Sexy. sniper pistol. Sexy. Uh, we we're both running AR pistols at the at this training. Uh, when we started doing the one handed stuff off the hood of the vehicle you know the whole concept of a proper cheek weld and length of pull kind of went out the window yeah. yeah and you know with the low power variable scope i went from having you know a full scope to being looking through basically like a dime sized hole in the middle of the optic so you know versus somebody with a red dot i think Chris probably yeah. had a full red dot to look through
1: yeah, no problem um, yeah, but also understanding that the one of the advantages of that AccuPower, it's a thirty-four millimeter body. It's a very, very large tube. I think a twenty-eight millimeter objective. If you're looking through. Um, it, it is. It's as forgiving as it's going to be. So if you're looking at a low power variable, uh, please, please, dear God in heaven, don't go buy a one inch tube, one to four, one to six. If it's going on a working gun, at least look at a thirty millimeter. Preferably a little bigger if your budget can yeah. afford it. For sure, because it, it does make a huge difference to give you that red dot mess out of a low power variable. I think so.
0: Yeah, and I with running, um, you know, running guns one handed out of you know kind of goofy positions, maybe non-conventional positions. Yeah, having an optic over iron sights makes a world of difference. Yes, um, I can't imagine trying to do, you know where we got the, the gun turned over 90 degrees and we're, you know, length of pull is adjusted by about six or eight inches um, with iron sights because I don't think it would happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there are guys out there who can make it happen, um, but there are people who are, that's their job. They train really, really, really hard to be able to make the tools they're using in any situation work. Unfortunately um, for a couple of cake-eating civilians who make it to the range, you know, three, four days a month for a few hours at a time, um, making that work efficiently is going to be really, really difficult without a lot of reps. And I think that you sh- we should all be able to maybe make it work if we have to flip up that backup iron sight or if we have to use that that optic as a rear aperture in lieu of an iron sight. Um, I think we need to, to maybe you know try some of those things again under the auspices of going where you've never been so when you get there for real and you've been there. Um, so that kind of mentality, uh, but yeah, it, it, there's, there's a lot of, lot of suck going on trying to figure out how to make iron sights work in a lot of those situations. Totally concur. Um, still we'll put in a huge nod for the red dot. Um, you know, we, we, we've always referred to the red dot optic as the 95% optic as a civilian, or maybe even a law enforcement officer. It's going to solve 95% of your problems. Um, the red dot, it, it, it's super handy. It makes life easy. Uh, the military recognizes it as a force multiplier. And if even they get it, then, you know, gosh, guys, it's it's probably time to put one on your gun. So what else? I, I think I'm about out of coffee. Okay. I'll throw out uh, one more nod. Um, you know, I, I've not trained with Chase Jenkins or with talent defense. Uh, the gentleman who was running the show that day and kind of guiding us through our training day uh, spent a two-day class uh, with Chase and, and was tickled pink with the content of the class, if not the weather. Um, they learned a lot, did a lot of neat things. I really appreciate him passing that information on to us. Um, another source for some of this stuff as well, uh, Will Petty, um, Centrifuge Training. Will actually has a couple of videos up on U- YouTube that get into a little bit about things you can do with the gun with one hand and some of the tennis ball techniques to train with and stuff like that. So if you want to chase down you know, some of that stuff online, there's some videos out there that are interesting that, that don't necessarily cover everything we covered but sum up the idea with a handgun of, of what a great tool it is to throw something as silly as a tennis ball in your training bag and, and have it with you. So um, I definitely, I don't think I have anything else.
0: Yeah, we'd, uh, we'd like to hear what you have to think about the podcast. Uh, drop us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com. Uh, we're going to do our best to get these up about every two weeks or so. Um, yeah, stay tuned for more. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for giving us your time, guys.